better. So we're going to, we're going to keep fighting, whatever that looks like. We're going to keep on fighting. Absolutely. For me, it's all of those things. Um, but also continuing to learn, um, because I'm, I'm new at this and I'm not going to be able to use that excuse for very long. So I'm going to need to continue to learn the ins and outs of the union, what all these things mean, you know, these, I, these motion, what emotion means and what, you know, I'm just going to have to continue to learn all of that. And, um, a friend just said to earlier, um, today, actually, these are just the first steps, you know, a ceasefire is just the very, very first steps. I mean, we're going to need to continue to use our voices to uplift, um, not just the, the Palestinian people, but working class people, um, all over um, and help empower them to use their voices um, to make changes because this is not going in the right direction. Um, it, it really is not going in the right direction and it's scary. It's I've been kind of thinking lately about my kids' futures and as working class citizens and, and how I can use my voice to help make their future better. I mean, I have a 14 year old and an eight year old, so it's just scary. So moving forward, just continuing to learn and use our voices and uplift the voices that matter. Well, thank you both so much for joining us on KBU. Thanks to Jamie Partridge for helping us convert this to a radio ready file. Thank you audience for tuning in tonight. Thank you, Stephen. This is Rachel Haynes. You've been listening to Labor Radio. Tune in next Monday and every Monday at 6 p.m. to catch another Labor Radio show. KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM and streaming online at KBOO.FM. Prison Pipeline presents a unique perspective of the criminal justice system, addressing the root causes of crime, and broadening understanding of the institution of incarceration. Baby, you understand me now. If sometimes you see that I'm mad. Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel? Welcome to Prison Pipeline, produced at the studios of KBOO Portland. I'm Karen James. The Oregon legislature is in session, and as our legislators prepare to recriminalize addiction in Oregon, Partnership for Safety and Justice will be at the Capitol in Salem on February 14th to lobby for homes, healing, and health care. So with me from Partnership for Safety and Justice are Babek Zolvigari Azar, Senior Policy Manager, and Keely Wayan, Communications Manager. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us, Karen. Babek, I'm sure the whole nation is aware of Oregon's Ballot Measure 110, but for those who aren't, a brief description, please. Yeah, Measure 110, as voted by Oregonians in 2020, decriminalized possession of drugs, essentially looking at substance use and people suffering from addiction as a public health issue rather than an issue of the criminal justice system. It's the first state in the United States. Uh, Oregon has set in motion this realization that the war on drugs is a failed war and 
we should no longer be criminalizing people who are suffering from addiction. And with that, you know, it's critical to emphasize then the solution, right, which is that folks are getting access to treatment programs, are getting funding to build up the infrastructure of um, access to treatment and building up staffing for, for treatment. And this was at a time where, you know, Oregon was at the, you know, ranked like at the bottom in terms of access to treatment for folks who were suffering from addiction. So ballot measure 110 was passed by Oregonians in 2020. So fast forward a couple of years, what have been the issues? The war on drugs was decades long, right? Half a century, right? And so we are just like in the very early stages of building up the infrastructure to have um, folks be able to access treatment in our state and and building up culturally specific services in that regard as well. And so it's taking time and and it's starting to have an impact. We've seen more and more folks be able to access treatment uh, here in Oregon and have um, positive results from that access to um, treatment um, for their substance use or for their addiction. And so part of that question, Karen, there is this realization that this reality, right, that there are people um, out in the community, there's visibility of drug use, right, and specifically fentanyl, right, like this is a new scary drug, right, like, and the addictive qualities of this are, are really serious, right, and so, you know, you've got people out in the community seeing drug use out in the open, and there's concern for safety, right, and Keely and I, we work in downtown Portland, we work in Chinatown right across from the Chinese Garden, and you know, we park our cars and we we walk to our office space and you look to your left, you look to your right. And yes, there are folks um, who are on the streets who are using drugs out in the open. But that was happening before Measure 110 passed. Let's be real, right? Like this didn't, the issues that people talk about in regards to public use of drugs didn't begin because of Measure 110. Um, they already existed, right? I was just going to add that um, one of the challenges we face, which Bob Eck already mentioned was the illicit fentanyl that has been on the streets and that has entered since 2019. And Measure 110 didn't go into effect until February 2021, despite passing in 2020, due to the slow rollout by the Oregon Health Authority of funding. And also, Oregon has ranked the highest in unsheltered housing. So we see a lot of houseless communities, and there's a lot of trauma and hopelessness on the streets, which can feel really scary for many people, but it's important to recognize that Measure 110 has also put in more than $300 million into funding services that have never existed before. You both mentioned what we're seeing visibly in the streets. What are Oregonians not seeing? What are the effects of this funding from Measure 110 that the public does not know about? Yeah, it's hard as a average person walking in the community to you don't see like new business, like new treatment centers, like new buildings that promote like access to treatment, right? Like that's not like a visible thing, right? And so knowing behind the scenes that the money and the funding that's going to help organizations, um, either new organizations or um, existing organizations to, to build up their infrastructure, to, to have more folks who are mental health professionals, right? Like we're providing these services, you know, more space for like inpatient um, treatment, right? For folks who are going to be living where they're getting their treatment, you know, those sorts of things. You don't see that, right? Like it's also not visible because the media is not talking about it, right? I think recently there has been some media attention, whether it's um, by print or the news where, you know, you're seeing that there's 
an increase in people accessing treatment and having success. And again, like Keely said, February of 2021 is when this money rolled out to community. And it's February of 2024. Like we really had less than three years of building up this infrastructure. And it's now you're starting to see it take shape and to have the impact that was supported back in 2020 when this ballot measure passed. Yeah, I also really want to emphasize how funding is getting back into trauma-informed folks to practice. It's evidence-based and Black and Brown trauma-informed services are finally available. And that has never existed before. There's a lack of culturally specific services. And now we have more wraparound services that support people with getting like jobs, with education. And this is all led by like peers. We need like more peers and it's really building up a behavioral like workforce that has like folks with experiences. These are led by folks who are also in recovery themselves. And I think it's important that Measure 110 is also like destigmatizing addiction, which has been stigmatized for so long, creating barriers to treatment due to the war on drugs and our like conditioning of addiction. So yeah, there's just like so many more wraparound services that really help people towards like long-term recovery, especially when it comes to like getting housing after like detox because there's a lack of housing. So those are just like the few examples of Measure 110. And I also think, Keely, that the public is not fully aware that Measure 110 is filling those gaps that insurance does not cover, like peer services, as you said, and harm reduction. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, I actually went to tour a clinic um, on Friday, Recovery Clinics Northwest in Newburgh, and I was talking to a peer, and she was telling me about how in Yamhill County that these services have never been available in this specific county. And it's just important to recognize that with peers, they help people who are houseless also just get low barrier care. So some folks who come in, they don't even have an ID. They don't have like identifications. That's just an example of what a peer does. It's just helping people like get back on their feet and like finding support. There are group services to build like social connectedness. And I think it's really important to like also highlight how like during COVID-19 that the trauma created by the pandemic has really like isolated communities, created more trauma like related to like systemic issues, more poverty. And I think with just having peers creating like a safe space, like even the environment was colorful compared to being like treated in a jail cell, right? Like it's a different experiences where you're like treated just like as a human for your experiences. And a part of like harm reduction is providing people like safe space to use, but also just like being able to communicate because we know that addiction isn't a choice. People always blame individuals for their addiction, but we just have to recognize that it's important to keep people safe if they choose to use. And that's just an example of like helping them reach towards recovery when they're ready because mandated treatment doesn't work. And if it did, it would have worked by now. Keely hits so many points so strong there. And, and, and part of the, the piece here with like solutions, looking at having, this is the visibility thing too, right? And that we need to continue building up is having like peer-led community outreach teams that offer wraparound services and, and folks who, who understand like houselessness, poverty, um, substance use and addiction, right? Like, would we rather invest in peer-led recovery and navigating like these systems for like housing and treatment or would we 
want police to be navigating that. Law enforcement, coerced treatment, forced treatment, right? Like handcuffing someone or telling them they have to do a thing like go to treatment or I'm going to take you to jail. That doesn't work. And police, that's not what police should be doing anyways, right? You know, we need to be investing in and in, in building up those peer-led community outreach teams um, that have direct lived experience and help people address the root issues that are going on, right? At the end of the day, helping someone get access to stable housing, to detox and to treatment to address both mental health issues and drug-related issues um, is a pathway to helping our communities thrive. And as I said, the Oregon legislature is in session and they will be addressing Measure 110. So what are they proposing? Yeah, so right now in the legislature, uh, the kind of the key issues here are the, the criminalization of public use of drugs. So if people are using drugs out in the open, the legislature is considering the involvement of police in that matter and police essentially giving people an option of take you to treatment or take you to jail. And so, you know, there's that and then there's also possession of drugs, especially if this gets in a little complicated in terms of law and, and the legalities of things, right? Like if someone has drugs and their intention is to sell drugs, like there's a focus on like cracking down on the possession and distribution of drugs, um, but then also drug use out in the open. But look, let's let's be real. If we're talking about public use of drugs, cracking down on that or there being a, a punishment for that, we're really talking about focusing on and isolating a specific community of people who are living on the streets who are using drugs. People who have stable housing, have a home, and are using their drugs are not going to be impacted by this legislation, right? They're not going to be out living on the streets using their drugs, right? And so this is a very specific tactic and strategy to focus on a marginalized community that's vulnerable, that is suffering from addiction, and to look at ways to essentially clean up the streets, right? So like get people off the streets and using public use as kind of the like distraction from that. It's very immoral. It's not right to do that. And we have solutions that are starting to take effect to have a positive impact and we need to trust that process and be patient with that process. So prior to 2020, Oregon lacked services. And when we passed Measure 110, services were still not available. So we have to wait. We have to give this ballot measure some time. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, I mean, it's good to remember that, again, that the war on drugs was, you know, half a century long, right? This focus on incarceration and, you know, people suffering from addiction being like a criminal justice matter. It's happened for generations. So there's a lot of undoing, right? There's culture shifting. There's a huge culture shift, right? Like Keely talked about like destigmatizing drug use, folks understanding that this is a public health issue. I think like the message was pretty clear when Oregonians voted to pass ballot measure 110, right? Like there was this realization or reckoning that like what we've been doing is wrong and understanding that people can can really heal and recover from their addiction and substance use um, by having like peer-led support, um, having access to treatment, uh, having folks can help them navigate like all the barriers that are involved in being able to even access treatment, right? I mean, there's a lack of access because of just there's not enough, you know, therapists and counselors and spaces where that work is being done, right? 
there's a lack of like trauma-informed evidence-based like culturally specific services right which is building up and getting better right there's there's more and more opportunity and in the legislature right now we should really be focusing on getting more money out to these organizations that are building up and to help again invest our values need to be reflected in our budget and our budget needs to reflect that we're continuing to trust and support these processes and systems that are building up to overcome, you know, a half a century's long battle, right? That was very criminal justice focused, right? So it's been such a small amount of time. Like if you really think three years compared to 50 plus years, right? And a huge like culture shift, that's a very small amount of time to just essentially say, uh, we're giving up, let's go back to what we were doing before. That's not right, especially as there's, there's evidence of success going forward. Yeah, I just want to also say that the United States has spent over a trillion dollars for over 50 years, what Bob Eckerty mentioned, jailing and arresting people suffering from addiction. We need to please keep staying the course and invest in healing that we know is evidence-based. So, Babek, what is Partnership for Safety and Justice position on recriminalizing drugs that were decriminalized by ballot measure 110 in 2020? Yeah, Partnership for Safety and Justice opposes any form of criminalization of people who are suffering from addiction. And also, you know, with the legislator specifically opposing House Bill 4002, which is the, the House bill right now that is in the legislator that is looking to recriminalize public use and possession. We received mixed messages in the media. We hear that people are not seeking treatment under Measure 110, and we hear that people are seeking treatment under Measure 110. So what evidence do you have, Keely, of what is actually happening? Karen, there's actually 200 people who don't receive treatment at, I think it's called Looper. People who want services and treatment, there's not enough capacity. Oregon only has 50% of capacity available to actually treat people suffering from addiction. So that's just an example where we're lacking services and treatment for people. And I think that a lot of that misinformation really just stems from seeing houseless people on the streets and seeing like the public drug use visibility. And I think that it kind of just takes away from the idea that there are people who are utilizing, actively utilizing the services available currently. And we've seen that through the Oregon Health Authority data where there's 300% increase in usage of Measure 110 services. So I wish that there was more information on how critical these investments have been for Oregonians who need them. As I've said, I visited Recovery Clinics Northwest in Newburgh and they're having their one year anniversary on February 13th and that is funded by Measure 110 and they are providing the services to the communities and are trying to connect more people to additional services to show what's available in Yamhill County. And they've been seeing an increase in community members using their services, getting more access to it because they provide medicated assisted treatment, peer recovery, mentoring. And they tell me that there are people and they want people to just come through the door. They provide clothing, food, a safe space to hang out, talk, and people are utilizing the services available. So Partnership for Safety and Justice will be at the Capitol in Salem on February 14th, 
to lobby against this legislation to recriminalize drugs here in Oregon. So talk about Lobby Day. I believe it's too late to sign up now, but talk about Lobby Day and what people can do. Yeah, Karen, we've got a Lobby Day on February 14th, and uh, this is a partnership between a number of organizations, including the ACLU of Oregon, Unite Oregon, and Partnership for Safety and Justice. Well, we'll be in Salem on that Wednesday, February 14th, um, working together with um, advocates and, and leaders from across our state to pack the, the Capitol building and to be very loud and clear that we oppose House Bill 4002 and any efforts to recriminalize people who are suffering from addiction. And will this be the main bill put forth in this session or will there be others? That'll be the main bill as it relates to Measure 110. It'll be an omnibus bill that basically takes all the kind of legislative concepts and puts it all into one bill. And so uh, legislators, when they're voting on this bill, will be voting for like all parts um, of the bill. So as I said, it is too late to sign up for Lobby Day, but what else can people do? Can they contact their legislators? What is the message? How can people get involved? And please give your website. If you want to take action and email your legislators, go to safetyandjustice.org slash takeactionm110. And you can also follow us on social media on Instagram at safetyandjustice and see all the fun that we had at Lobby Day and continue advocating with us. And Karen, let me add to, let me just reiterate, like, look, folks, we need people to take action. Um, This is monumental and we need to make sure that measure 110 is defended and and the more action we have from folks uh, to be loud and clear that we oppose the recriminalization of people suffering from addiction the better and so we really want the community's voice to be heard on this and look if you want to avoid um, criminalization and, and to defend measure 110 there's opportunities to take action by emailing legislators at the safetyandjustice.org forward slash take action um, M110, and then also even social media, like sharing action alerts through social media is an impactful way. So yeah, please take action. And I love Partnership for Safety and Justice approach. You're lobbying for homes, healing, and healthcare, because this is not about drugs. This is really about saving lives. We have not done right by people suffering in this state, and it's about time. Absolutely. This is about saving lives, Karen, and you know, that's, that's why, you know, I want to express that sense of urgency for folks to take action. Uh, the, the more legislators are seeing how important this issue is to the community and where the community stands on this, right? Um, the more pressure to put on them um, to, to make sure they're siding with, with their community. And who is in favor of recriminalizing drugs in Oregon? Who is in favor of this new legislation being proposed, uh, House Bill 4002? Yeah, look, it, it's uh, it goes back to what we're talking about in terms of like houselessness um, and kind of the, the visibility of this issue, right? And and so you think it's it's businesses, right? Like business owners, right? Like you've got folks essentially housed and, and camping outside of business, right? And there's kind of this organized effort with business owners, right? And like you know people with deep pockets who are very well connected with financially resourceful people, right? And so, you know, there's kind of this organization on that level, and then also kind of more tough on crime, you know, like district attorneys, um, you know, folks in that camp, right, where who essentially when Measure 110 was on the ballot, like 
were openly in opposition. Um, these are folks who didn't support Measure 110 then, right? Uh, and and now have, see this as an opportunity, right, to double down on that opposition and to organize and to kind of work off of that public sentiment. Okay, this doesn't feel safe out here. There's this visibility of drug use. This isn't comfortable, right? And capitalizing on people forgetting that they supported the the healing of people and not handcuffing of people, right? And so it's this kind of organized effort to play off of those fresh emotions right now uh, and and to thus, you know, return to a version of criminalization. And, and look, you know, one thing we didn't talk about earlier as well, um, there's like complicated legal matters as it relates to this legislation. Um, there's this idea of what's called a deflection. Think of deflection as kind of like a diversion, right? We have diversion for like DUIs and like other substance related uh, crimes, um, which diversion is like a post-conviction outlet, right? And deflection is something that's viewed as like pre-conviction alternative, right? And so if there's conversation with this legislation around folks, you know, who choose to get treatment instead of going to jail and who, you know, meet with, you know, go through an intake process and do like a risk assessment evaluation, that sort of thing, that if folks go through that process, they get deflected away from the criminal justice system and thus don't have something show up on their record. It's complicated, right? And it's new, right? We're talking about like reshaping cultures, like with like law enforcement and their involvement in this process. We're talking about like creating new programs and outlets that involve like some complicated processes. And aren't we struggling with building up infrastructure and starting something new, right? And and giving like Measure 110 a chance, right? With the access to treatment and building up that infrastructure. Like now we're talking about doing that same sort of thing right, with this legislation where we're doing something new and different um, that isn't even proven, right? Instead of giving Measure <laughs> 110 more time to continue building on the successes that we've seen. You know, that's some background on like the opposition uh, and also some of the legislative concepts that are out there. You know, also you, you said earlier that there hasn't been a lot of news about the good things that are happening around Measure 110. But along with that, there's been a lot of misinformation so for people who are confused by all of this, what would you say to encourage them or urge them to contact their legislators and let them know how they feel? Your best pitch, what would you say to them? On a human level, I would ask people to, to really have empathy and compassion and, and understand that folks are suffering from addiction, right? Um, and these are folks who, who don't have stable housing, um, who don't have a stable job, right? And, and so to think, putting folks in handcuffs and, and going back to kind of this failed war on drugs um, strategy um, is not the way, right? Karen, also along with that misinformation um, and misunderstandings, uh, you know, we talked earlier about how, you know, Measure 110 isn't why there are people living on our streets, right? Or using out in the public, like that existed before Measure 110. But also some folks are also like blaming like District Attorney Mike Schmidt and blaming like you know, are electeds for what's happening, right? And again, like Mike Schmidt, when Mike Schmidt was elected, these issues already existed in our communities and in our streets, right? And so, you know, shifting the focus to like who's elected, what their policies are, uh, oh, legislation passed, like Measure 110, like, you know, legislation and these people are like who are to blame for houselessness and, and for people suffering from addiction is not accurate. And that information is what's going up on billboards and it's what's being pushed through the media, right? The news and um, that's inaccurate, right? So 
you know, at the end of the day, look, you really folks coming back to like this human element of understanding people are suffering uh, and thinking about like within their families or, you know, within their groups of friends, like, do they know somebody who is going through, going through this, right? And remembering that is someone's brother, sister, aunt, uncle, cousin, you know, best friend, whatever the case may be, coworker, right? That's who we're talking about, right? They're no different than anyone that we know in our own lives. And so I think that's really important to, to, to recognize. So Kaylee, can you give the website one more time? Yeah, safetyandjustice.org slash takeactionm110. I've been speaking with Babek Zalbagari-Azar and Kaylee Weyen from Partnership for Safety and Justice. This is Prison Pipeline on KBOO 90.7 FM. Listen to this and previous Prison Pipeline programs at kboo.fm slash prison pipeline. Like Prison Pipeline on Facebook. Thank you to our engineer. And thank you.
listening to KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K2H2BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM. Hi, this is Cecil Prescott. Celeste Carey and I are the co-hosts for More Talk Radio.